I only go to get my parcel and they'll ask me, are you busy tonight? I say I might be playing Xbox, I've caught chicken pox Or any other excuse, they could say there'll be a man breathing fire Tyro walking a high wire, no I never mean to be rude I'm never really interested, not even when they've instead it Unless they say there's free drinks and food Hello and welcome to the Free Food, Free Drinks podcast. We've reached another milestone on the podcast. This is episode 10 and with us today we have Ilana Flora from the University of Essex. But it's important also to acknowledge, you know, there's a difference between being a digital native. You know, they've they've all been brought up alongside um, social media platforms and digital platforms versus digital competencies. Now, you may notice that this podcast is coming out in October and we didn't submit anything in September to all of our lovely listeners. Hmm. Rebecca, why might that be? Well, Rob, as you know, we got hundreds and hundreds of emails from our listeners. Okay, maybe I might be exaggerating. We had no emails from our listeners (laughs) who were very excited or not excited at all to find out whether we submitted our master's thesis, which we both did last week, two days early, just saying, who am I? (laughs) That, That was very impressive. I was very proud of you. You did a great job. And yeah, we have actually submitted now, which is a very strange feeling. We're waiting for our marks, which is kind of the the next anxious wait. And we think we've got to wait a, a month and a half or so for that. So it's not a strange we've, feeling. We've uh, got on tenterhooks for that, but it's been a, it's a great feeling. It is. It is it's a very strange feeling. It's very odd sitting here recording this. Uh, it is. It's very odd sitting here and introducing this episode, looking onto my bookcase and seeing the printed copy of my thesis. That and I look at it and I think I wrote that. That's really strange. It's just a very odd feeling, but it's a great feeling. And we're we're thrilled to be in this position and looking forward to to getting our dissertations, marks, and, and hopefully graduating, which will be nice. Uh, so fingers crossed for 21 for that. Yeah. And a couple of people have asked us, you know, amongst our circle of friends and whatnot, could they read a copy of it? And, you know, we're happy to share the re- research that we did and the results and whatnot that we found. But we are going to do a separate podcast um, discovering the research. So there'll be a couple of episodes coming your way over the next couple of weeks as well. And after that, we promise we'll stop talking about it. <laughs> Just a little bit of self-indulgence. But we, Just a little you bit. know, it's got to be done. We're proud of what we put out there. And I think both of us, without being too over the top. I do think we've highlighted some really important things and stuff we'd really love to share with all of you. So we'll definitely be highlighting our research in a couple of episodes coming up. So do stay tuned for those. In the meantime, though, let's get back to hearing from Alana. Alana has worked in student services in some capacity since graduating from Keele University in 2014. After joining the resident support team at Keele in a graduate role, her eyes were open to the range of roles and teams that work in professional services within a student support service structure. Over the years, she's worked in a number of roles, including student experience coordinator at Anglia Ruskin University, which provided her with a valuable insight into the importance of the student voice, feedback mechanisms, and listen to the varying needs of student demographic groups to improve their student experience. Today, Alana works as a residence life coordinator at the University of Essex within the residence life team and supports a team of student staff to make the on-campus living experience a positive one through programming and other initiatives to promote student well-being, community, and create a sense of belonging. Now, interestingly, before today, myself, Robert and Alana had a little chat and we discovered that she wrote her undergraduate thesis on the topic of student transitions, my favourite topic. So perhaps she was always destined to work in an area that aimed to improve the student experience. 
experience. Alana, welcome to the Free Food, Free Drinks podcast. We are super excited to have you here and even more excited to talk about one of my favorite subjects, Res Life. And I know Rob is rolling his eyes already. Thank you for joining us today. So thank you very much for having me. And I'd also like to shout out at this time to um, Claire Slater, who recommended me and put my name forward for featuring on this podcast. She did, yes. When we told her that we were doing an episode on Rising Stars and Res Life, she was like, have you got everybody for that episode? Because I know a brilliant person. And so when we were putting our little kind of list of names together, uh, we said we'd reach out to you because anybody who's recommended by Claire has got to be good. Yeah, thank you very much. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, to featuring and especially um, talking about, you know, the topic of this podcast as well around um, Res Life and Rising Stars, given that I'm at sort of an early, early point in my career. It would be very different sort of contributing to this, given listening to the podcast so far, you know, you kind of have a bit of imposter syndrome when you listen to, to voices of more established or esteemed uh, sort of student services or student affairs uh, professionals. Um, so I'm hoping I'll be able to make a good and valuable contribution. Oh, you definitely will. <laughs> but this is what we're all about on this podcast, about giving people a platform and people's voice. So you're more than welcome on. Don't feel don't feel like an imposter at all. You've been invited on. Feel free to open up. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. Also, I'll let you I'll let you into a little secret. I'm in my career about 12 years and I have imposter syndrome all the time, all the time. So trust me. Yeah, I have it all the time. There's no beating a kind of around the bush. I guess we are in a very interesting time right now. I'm not going to say the C word. I will say the A word, A-levels and the A-levels U-turn that's happened over the last couple of days. Uh, how is everybody in Essex? How are you seeing the impact of that right now? Um, to be honest, I'm not, I've, I've not been sort of seeing the headlines or anything like that. Obviously, the, the university at the moment is going through the clearing period. Um, I'm not uh, contributing to the clearing work at the moment, but I know obviously there are lots of teams like the comms, comms teams and everything um, who are really, really busy at the moment, you know, reaching out to students and getting getting applicants coming in, you know, just trying to get people to convert either to, to pursue higher education, um, choose Essex. So yeah, I haven't been yeah haven't been too clued into the headlines at the moment but I'm sure you know over as the weeks go on we'll have a clearer idea of what our sort of student intake looks like and um particularly in in the area of Essex whether we what our sort of demographic looks like whether we either capture more sort of local students or whether we continue to capture an international cohort or even students from further across the UK um, choosing to study at Essex. But it'll be really exciting to see, you know, who we have living in our halls of residence by the time September, October comes around, which is very, very soon. <laughs> and uh, speaking of intake, obviously it is only around the corner, like you just said. I said in your bio that your undergraduate thesis, whether you know it was intentional or not, you actually ended up writing the topic of student transitions. And I know it's a couple of years since you've written it, um, but I thought maybe we could chat a bit about that and why you were attracted to that particular topic and what was your research initially about? I know it's um it's really strange kind of when I reflect on it how much of the reading and the research at the time was maybe influencing the sort of areas of interests when it came to thinking about sort of careers that I'd like to pursue when when I graduated. I do actually really need to find a copy of my dissertation which is likely on a USB stick somewhere um so I can take a look at the sort of reference list and familiarize myself with the project but 
Um, in terms of how I came about to writing my my undergraduate final year project, I kind of stumbled across my dissertation question. Um, funnily enough, at Latitude Festival, I'd attended a talk on emotional resilience. Um, and this was back in 2013 and was introduced to a book called Rainy Brain, Sunny Brain, um, which was written by um, Elaine Fox. And it was looking at the sort of constructs of optimism and pessimism, but it introduced me more broadly to sort of emotional resilience and I was curious about those roles of being an optimistic person or a pessimistic person and how our levels of emotional resilience maybe can influence our experience of things, how we overcome them. And at the time I was going into my final year of undergraduate study, so maybe naturally I was experiencing some, you know, I was reflecting more about my university experience in general. Upon sort of exploring some journals and articles on emotional resilience further, particularly in young adults and with further discussions with my dissertation supervisor, my final year project focused on looking at the role of optimism and pessimism, emotional resilience on student adjustment to university. But specifically, I looked at academic adjustment in terms of the leap from further education to higher education um, and looked at constructs such as academic self-efficacy and the role of, sort of procrastination um, in students. So cue lots of psychometric tests um, with first year undergraduates and analysis in SPSS that resulted in a final year project by the end of the year. But then actually, you know, it kind of influenced or ingrained a broader appreciation and understanding for, you know, the uniqueness of the, of, of the student experience and those sort of student transitions. So yeah, yeah, although my final year projects did, did focus on academic experience, and emotional resilience it did expose me to like considering the wider student experiences resilience we all know has long been a buzzword in student services and support structures yeah I was just going to say certainly around I think like 2015 2016 that word was coming out quite a lot it was being used at all the conferences that I went to there was reports coming out from uh, private student accommodation operators everybody was talking about resilience there for a while it's kind of died down a little bit but resilience was the buzzword. Like, how can we have help students get more resilient, become more resilient? What does resilience look like? Um, what is poor resilience? So there's so many things you've mentioned there in your research. And I'm like, OK, this could be a really long podcast episode just to discuss. So interesting. <laughs> but it is. It's interesting, though, because as well, the idea of resilience and you mentioned that it's kind of faded a little bit since then. But, you, you know, you could argue that that is becoming somewhat of a criticism now of a modern criticism of higher education is that from the outside people look in and say well what resilience are you building mm, absolutely and I, I you know it's interesting that it's fading and I, I sort of think you know actually when we look at institutional duty of care I think resilience is one of the primary things that's sort of what we're there for is to build a uh, Rebecca or like this a holistic individual who is resilient to the world after education and and you know I think about it from, from two ways is is it fading or is it actually just embedded now as you know one of our go-to things that we're aiming to achieve and aiming to develop in students and you know especially where I work now you know where I feel like my passion for where I work now if I'm helping students to become more resilient people to employ tactics that work for them to kind of overcome those setbacks in a in like a healthy and a constructive way, then I'm, I guess I'm exactly where I need to be. But yeah, resilience, I think, 
it could it could be argued to be seen as fading, but maybe uh, student services or universities are just embedding resilience as a kind of natural skill set to develop um, in in their students. Mm, and residence life, I would say, has a big role or can play a really big role in helping students become more resilient, helping to understand that term, or even help them become more resilient without them realizing they're becoming more resilient. And you know, by developing skills and settling with ease and to aid that transition to university and through university. There are lots and lots of different definitions and understanding of what res life is. It looks really different in many universities around the UK and globally. In some cases, it sits within student services. Other times, it sits under accommodation and within commercial services. How is it structured at the University of Essex? Um, So definitely the former. So residence life sits within our um, student services team. So sits within our sort of student wellbeing and inclusivity services. um, So a student services structure. And like many other universities, we work according to sort of make like two sort of key strands, you know, the sort of reactive work we do, as well as the proactive work, you know, we're supporting individuals through unique times of needs, or, or sort of sharing positive messages and initiatives to to bring people together on campus um, especially when it comes to meeting those core values of community and belonging which are usually at the heart of what um, residence life does so yeah at Essex we do follow those sort of principles of creating a sense of community and belonging and we have an incredibly um, diverse and multicultural campus with many students coming from all over the world either to study here full-time or for study abroad opportunities it has been quite a long established residence life service to to provide that community building and a wide range of support to students specifically at Essex so we're, we have a team of residence assistants um, this year, we've got a team of 55 joining us across um, both of our Colchester and Southend campuses. Sort of what, you know, one thing I love about working in Res Life is sort of employing and managing a team of student staff, coaching them through one-to-one meetings. And I think, yeah, I think it's such a fantastic opportunity in Res Life to not only support students in their student experience, you know, in their studies, but then the, the student staff that you employ who are going through the same thing, but then equally you're developing them, you know, so you're sort of developing them and giving them sort of transferable skills that will, you know, be so beneficial for them in the future. Um, and then we have, so within our team specifically in residence life, we have a team of residence life coordinators like myself, and we're responsible for um, managing the RA teams across certain areas of accommodation. And the Essex approach to residence life is it sometimes you'll see, you know, programs and models and frameworks and that underpin different res life models around the UK. I mean, that's huge in the US. And obviously, we know it's far more professionalized in the US and it's got more of a long established history. Is your approach underpinned by, say, university values or the university mission or any particular piece of evidence what is that drives your program we certainly yeah we certainly um, ask RAs to deliver on programs in approaching the up upcoming academic year it certainly sits within um, sort of our sort of student experience plan and you know those are kind of you know governed by you know our university mission our values the things that we're aiming to do but you know a lot alongside a lot of what other universities are having to adjust to in the upcoming academic year is you know, how can we be flexible to the the different sort of demands or needs that we need to achieve in student experience across their living experience, their learning experience, you know, their extracurricular opportunities. Within residence life, we're just trying to see, 
you know, we kind of have to consider the bigger picture, but then also equally having like garnering a better appreciation for the influence we can have um, for the student experience in halls. Because, you know, students are a really sort of like niche collective of adults, you know, to work with. We have to strike the right balance between recognising their adults, but equally trying to navigate, help them navigate university life and all the experiences that may be completely new to them. Our offering will remain very much the same in terms of supporting residents in communicating with others to resolve conflict or issues and sort of supporting them on matters that arise within that. We're also needing to look at how we can place a greater emphasis on the the programmatic side and the proactive messaging and initiatives that we can implement to to make sure that the student like the wider student experience um, is enhanced and obviously the focus of this episode is on you as an individual and you and your I suppose you know growing role in residence life and career over the last couple of years what is it for you that you know keeps you working in this space or once or makes you want to continue to work in this space you alluded to you know talking about loving training resident assistants and you know looking at the academic efficacy and things like that have you got a particular passion in a particular area of res life you know for some people they love the welfare side of things some people they love the events and programs side of things what is it for you that, that kind of you're really passionate about I mean to be honest when I first started my uh, graduate role at Keele University um, the team was known as resident support so the sort of implications there was that it was very much aligned to the sort of welfare and pastoral needs of students um, and at the time when I joined um, as a graduate assistant at Keele University early days of looking at events and initiatives that could be delivered for the wider student cohort. So we were looking at halls life or residence life models. So when I first came into my residence support graduate role, it was very much aligned to the welfare and pastoral needs of individual students and kind of that more reactive emphasis. So that's kind of something that I feel maybe I was naturally um, more interested in given that that was like the first thing I was exposed to however moving into um, Essex University this is the first time where I'd heard of programs you know usually it was sort of referred to as events and activities so it's kind of learning that there is definitely a balance within residence life and that's one thing that I'm kind of learning to become more appreciative about is that there is you know there is a you know you can there's a whole model you can follow that could be completely different and I think when I started off in my graduate role, I was kind of really naive and oblivious to the many teams that a university needs to help it function. And sort of over the years from starting off at my role at Keel to then moving into sort of student experience or student voice oriented roles and then back into residence life, um, it's given me a broader understanding of professional services um, in terms of something that I feel more um, confident about or more passionate about. Definitely the sort of welfare side of things and I, I, I attribute that really to the sort of training opportunities that um, I've had over the year so at Keel I received the sexual violence liaison officer training big emphasis on receiving mental health first aid suicide first aid so I, I've had more sort of training opportunities to get a better understanding and appreciation application of skills to support students when it comes to welfare needs the exciting thing about the position that we are now with programming is, you know, I've been at Essex for a couple of years now and going into sort of my third academic year cycle. And with 
the current pandemic, it's giving us like a very new and exciting challenge for us to, you know, see what matters to students. And I think that's going to be a really exciting um, opportunity for me personally to see the value of programming, um, especially things like, you know, as we're moving towards virtual programming and how all of those can kind of enhance the student experience and it's interesting that you mentioned virtual programming because that's what been the buzzword of 2020, you know, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, moving on from resilience, we're now talking virtual programming, specifically in residence life. Like this time last year, if, we, if you were to talk to anybody working in residence life or any sort of student experience programme or events programme and to say that you were going to run online activities, people would say that will never work or why should we do that or you can't do that. And so the pandemic has forced us to work in this way because it's been more important than ever. I think I think this pandemic, to be honest, has actually highlighted how important residence life is and that it's needed more than ever and that actually to continually engage students and make sure they're okay and check in on them and they're not lonely and they still feel part of something and someone thinks of them it's more important to do this and um, certainly from the number of teams that I've been talking to over the last couple of months virtual program regardless of whether there continues to be a pandemic in six months or 12 months will be will become a permanent feature of their schedule they will do in person and the virtual how have you guys coped with taking on the task of putting everything online um, and trying to do socially distanced activity with the last couple of months? And what is your plan for um, intake in the coming months? The timing of lockdown um, sort of midway through um, sort of the Easter term, it kind of gave us a chance to experiment. So like many other universities, you know, our students were given the option to terminate their tenancy agreements early. We kind of we were left with small handfuls of students that needed to remain on campus for whatever reason and that kind of gave us manageable numbers to pilot things so you know okay so we need to move towards virtual events and activities we can we can trial things with these the the small handful of students that remain so we trialed things like yoga classes netflix parties and we asked our ras to to come up with sort of some skill sharing workshops etc um, and they were sort of promoted on our social media channels and Essex web pages, uh, Essex Life online dedicated web page, which was set up to bring together everything that was going on across the university as lots of teams really had to come together to adapt and change the way that they um, engaged with students. And I think also, you know, the, another benefit of lockdown is that even in our personal lives, we were all required to integrate remote means of socializing to stay connected with our friends and families Um, and all of those things kind of are are giving us inspiration to what can be achieved so I'm sure when it comes to training our incoming team of RAs they will all have some fantastic ideas to share from their personal experiences um, of staying in touch with friends and family during the lockdown period Um, so it would be great to hear these and work with them to provide the same kind of connectedness with their residents um, through this virtual programming and to continue to build that sense of community and belonging but exactly like what you said Rebecca I think you know even in a sort of even if sort of social distancing or certain things eventually became removed you know we'll all see the benefits that virtual programming can have or you know any kind of virtual initiative to reach different cohorts of students that may feel loneliness or isolation and not feel particularly confident or comfortable in in in-person initiatives so you know the virtual side of things and going remote definitely allows us to give options to students in how they engage with their campus community 
And people are um, people are always looking for ideas. You know, there's always everyone's always looking for the you know next big idea to engage students or attract them or you know to get to get their attention. What have you done that's really actually worked for you guys? But at the same time, what have you done that you thought this will be awesome and then it completely flopped? Because I think sometimes when you put a program together, it really depends on the demographic. You can put something together and it'll be amazing in one university and terrible in another one down the road so what has surprised you guys what have students really engaged with that you've um, kind of delivered there were some weekly yoga classes and I think what was really what's been really good about the virtual programming is the ability to get students to become connected from all different campuses so we have campuses at Colchester South End and Loughton there was some work with a yoga instructor and, and you actually had students attending from all of the campuses which was you know really really beneficial and which we're going to try and think about well how can we achieve that with the RAs that work at Colchester and Southend campuses, but you know, is there a way that we could potentially involve those at the Loughton campus as well? One thing that we're really sort of exciting, uh, we're excited to trial is anyone that works in residence life or um, with RAs, you know, sort of that sort of flat visits and that sort of in-person contact is um, a really crucial way to, you know, identify students that might be struggling. And we're going to have to convert that to sort of virtual drop-in um, using sort of, you know, waiting room functions on Zoom um, so that RAs can virtually hold flat visits. Um, and I think what's going to be really interesting or exciting, fingers crossed if it works out, is that, you know, this time it's going to rely on residents going to their RA, you know, signing in, logging in um, to contact their RA, you know, through virtual means rather than, you know, the RAs visiting them in their accommodation. RAs, you know, typically have a very mobile role across the campus accommodation areas. But when you have to consider the risks associated with that, trying to get that right balance of how much can we offer remotely and how much can we offer in person is going to be a difficult one to achieve. But in all, but by looking at this alternative, we're really excited to, to see how that will work out in terms of um, offering a sort of out of hours drop-in for, for campus-based issues. Um, and for the upcoming academic academic year, and certainly for the first time, we will um, be placing an emphasis on that virtual programming as well. It will be a learning curve to see how, you know, we can do programs on limited or free budgets, and especially in the absence of free food and drinks, which we know is, you know, often entices uh, students to attend things. I mean, it's the reason the podcast is called Free Food, Free Drinks. <laughs> I was going to say, is that what is that what inspired the title of the podcast? Good name drop. Good name. We, we'll pay you later, Alana. We'll pay you later for that. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a great strapline. Whatever you know, whatever programs you're offering, often the incentive is free food, free drinks. Um, but you know, how are we going to achieve? You know, it's not possible to you know have a buffet on virtually. Um, so it will be a learning curve to see how you know students respond to that. And, you know, it's a really good opportunity to rethink what matters to our students, you know, as part of improving the student experience. By going virtual, we are increasing um, accessibility for those cohorts that we might not be able to, to reach otherwise when it comes to in-person visits. And ResLife is generally associated with like you know fun and unicorns and rainbows as I like to call it or as uh, <laughs> Rob affectionately calls it. Are, do you have concerns about, you know, when students come back obviously 
class times are reduced or class contact time is reduced and so they will spend more time in their accommodation and there's that added pressure I think on res life teens whether they realize it or not or anybody outside of res life realizes it to really you know step up and keep those students engaged and make sure they are okay but on the other side of it you know res life teams also deal with the discipline side of things when things don't go so well or you know is some behavior that Mm. is not conducive to let's say a nice community feeling occurs I think a lot of people are probably talking about what happens when students have parties and get together and you know don't socially distance is this something that you're planning for or discussing for in your teams have you given any thought to that a lot of the sort of breaches you know all of the code of conduct breaches go to our student conduct team and part of the sort of registration and induction period includes um, a sort of declaration around COVID-19 and the sort of behaviours that we would expect students to adhere to um, alongside like additional instructions around um, staying safe whilst living on campus. We are sort of you know it is going to be a tough one to try and get that balance right especially when we have student staff so our RAs you know, they're living in the campus accommodation, they will be experiencing it firsthand. But we will also, you know, part of our training is going to involve keeping yourself safe as RAs, working safely as RAs, but then also modelling the the behaviours that we would want to see in campus accommodation, you know, through, you know, good hand hygiene, social distancing, wearing masks, however that's going to look. Definitely a lot that Residence Life can do to have an impact on, you know, the collective group of students um, with sort of appropriate messaging on social media or via email. And um, we ask all the RAs to host a, a first flat meeting at the start of the year with all the residents that they're assigned to. So there will definitely be a, a good em- emphasis on addressing noise and parties and social distancing and, and how it's all going to work. And we really have to be as proactive as possible. and spin the messages to be as positive as possible in terms of you know keeping everyone safe to to give students the opportunity to you know you know it's going to take some time for everyone when it comes to returning to campus to kind of get used to what this post-covid working environment looks like and I think our RAs will be you know imperative to modeling you know that good behavior and ensuring that you know that happens um, but like I said, you know, bring it back to, you know, there's a there's a declaration as part of their student code of conduct that they have to do certain modules and, you know, online learning and declarations to say that, you know, they understand that these are the measurements that, you know, the university is putting in place. Um, here's how, here's what we're doing to keep you safe, but here's how, here's what you can do and here's the part that you can play as well. And, and you think taking it back to something that you mentioned earlier, Rebecca, around students are going to be spending a lot of time in their accommodation if they live on campus, especially if there is this blended learning approach that will require them to tune in virtually. You know, they're likely going to be doing that from their bedrooms. Screen time is going to significantly increase with needing to tune in virtually for lectures, but then also for assignments, but then also for social activities as well. If if it's not possible to have, you know, large in-person gatherings. <laughs> Interestingly, I've been doing lots of like personal reading around, you know, screen time use and becoming um, indistractable. Um, I've read a, you know, quite a good book l- lately on that. And um, 
perhaps there's something we can definitely do with RAs. This is probably me just um, going definitely off tangent and just like thinking out loud now. No, it's really interesting because screen time is going to increase on top of screen time that is already quite high for that particular generation, high in compared to our own screen time. Although if you saw the screen time stats on my phone, you'd probably be quite surprised because it alarms me most days. But yeah, like you're right, there's going to be huge amounts of screen time more than ever before in these small spaces, these bedroom spaces that they have. They can socialize in the way that they would like to socialize. And so what does that mean? What's the impact of that? Like nobody yeah. knows yet. And our assumption is that it's going to be predominantly negative if it's not handled very well. Yeah, abs- yeah, absolutely. And again, this is this is where I was kind of thinking out loud. I was like, oh, maybe our RAs can do something to help put out positive messages around, you know, the use of technology and social media in their, their learning and socializing experience, but then equally making sure that, you know, students are putting time aside for themselves to, to be away from their screens if they're living in small flats, um, our understanding so far is that, you know, they can be treated as a as a bubble, as, you know, a cluster. You know, even going out for a walk on our campus um, will be a great way for them to kind of decompress from all the screen time from attending lectures all day and, and things like that. And just something as a simple activity of that to get to know their flatmates in person and, um, you know, find ways to connect and relate to one another in person, which is so, you know, we all know that that sort of in-person contact is so valuable and it's really hard to replicate those same relationships online. Um, So, yeah, that was me just sort of thinking out loud, you know, well, you know, what can we as a team do to influence positive behaviour in, you know, screen time usage as, as well as, you know, the intense sort of remote and virtual work that they'll have to commit to and and pay attention to on their screens. Yeah, and I think it's also being mindful of your own screen time as well. The Res Life Professional has to do more virtual work than ever before and manage a team of RAs that will have to do more than ever before. You have to be mindful of your own kind of like self-care needs and your own downtime and everybody's had to do more screen time and homework in over the last six months, of course. But to deliver an events program or a virtual freshers program or whatever it's called is um, taxing on a lot of people because you've got the technical difficulties as well. If, if, if Zoom doesn't work or whatever software you're using and the stress around that, because I get very stressful if tech doesn't work. And I can imagine like if it doesn't go well for one event, all the work that you've put into that and how that can feel like a letdown or that something has let you down at the last minute. It can be extremely frustrating if that happens over and over again. It's uh, you feel like you're not doing good by your students yeah and as much as I'm going to want students to participate in our virtual programming you know because we can get the attendance figures we can seek the feedback we can then you know make changes based on that feedback but you know it's added demand to like to participate let alone host um so you know there's definitely things that I would like to see our RAs doing in terms of you know encouraging you know positive habits and positive relationships with you know, with our devices, given that we're, we're moving into an increasing demand to participate virtually in our learning and in our socialization. It's kind of, it does make me nervous, you know, thinking about the number of students that we've got coming on campus and everyone's got different backgrounds and perceptions and preferences and, you know, ways of managing or adapting to, to the current pandemic. And, you know, those things aren't quickly understood over the arrivals period and hopefully our RAs will have a really good 
opportunity to encourage that compromise and that communication and negotiation that is just so necessary when it comes to people of all different backgrounds coming to live in um, in campus accommodation. Yeah, I just wanted to follow up. It's it's an interesting discussion really around screen time and the lack of social time face to face. But I think on the flip side of it, and something that I've I've been thinking of quite a bit during during lockdown and have spoken a bit to a few other people about is on the flip side of this, you could look at it and say, well, we are arguably moving then the majority of our university services to a platform in which our students already are there. Right. So as much as concerned about screen time rightly mm. and it is something that we do need to consider especially from a social point of view you know that this generation are there already so i think actually the point rebecca made about staff adaptation is arguably more important in a way because really we're the generation that don't live in that that digital bubble we do have a bit you know we have kind of a, a a leg on either side of the fence whereas they are they are based in that and i do think there is an argument of some self-regulation from students is that you know i think there will come a point where even the most ardent introvert will get to a point where they're like you know what i need to be outside and i think the switch in mindset instead of providing everything face to face and providing services online may actually mean that students change their self-regulation and instead of turning to their devices to switch off they may actually do the opposite i want to go and see somebody outside to see that so i guess you could kind of look at it and say maybe this this could actually be a good thing and actually they will self-regulate better than we even think they might because after all this is kind of their world and their platform anyway that's a really really good point and you know there's the there's me just kind of going to pocket that one for later around self-regulation and what can I do in residence life to, to promote some messages around that. But that it's important also to acknowledge, you know, there's a difference between being a digital native, you know, they've, they've all been brought up alongside um, social media platforms and digital platforms versus digital competencies. Zoom, for example, you know, that's the, you know, one platform that a, a, will definitely be using at Essex for their learning as well as programming but that's not a platform that students are particularly fam familiar with and the competence, you know, it might take some time to develop, to develop the competencies um, to use something like Zoom, given that it's not a similar, you know, it's not similar to something like, you know, your social media platforms like Instagram or, or Facebook that students use and consume in very different ways. Alana, I love you. I love you for saying this. And I know Rob knows why. Because <laughs> I don't believe everybody is a digital native. Rob's like, she's going to go crazy. I do. I'm already, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, how long is it going to take for her to say it? I'm the same as you. I don't believe everybody's a digital native. I do believe about digital, you know, competencies. And it's on a spectrum and everybody's at different levels. And just because, you know, they've been brought up in a generation of social media doesn't mean they can use all platforms. So I'm with you. I am virtually high-fiving you right now. <laughs> we'll do a little virtual high-five. Like we're, we're having to consider that not only when, when, when it comes to our RA training, not only are we having to train them to use zoom as hosts we also need to train them to use hosts as participants and so I, I need to put together like a zoom guide to, to contextualize what we're requesting of them even though our web page you know the university web has web pages on using zoom using your account signing into a meeting or a webinar but we need to contextualize that for 
you know, residents' life around, you know, how are they going to get attendance lists? How will they seek feedback? How can they, you know, use Zoom to to the best of their abilities and develop the right sort of competencies that they can share with others, certainly. Um, but then also, you know, it will really help develop them in their roles and strengthen their competencies in using platforms that that they might be familiar from using from lockdown, but certainly they'll be having to apply um, those competencies to their learning experience and their RA experience, as well as, you know, a participation experience as well. For anybody listening to this episode right now, I want you to press pause and rewind about a minute and re-listen to that bit that Alana just said, because it's so important. There is a massive assumption out there that because it's new and it's tech and it's online, it's virtual, that people or students of a certain age will just know how to use it or they'll figure it out. And no one's thinking about creating those guides to host something on Zoom as opposed to being on Zoom and using all the shortcuts and everything else that comes with those type of platforms and everything else. And I've had this conversation time and time again, and there are so many assumptions out there and people think, oh, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. No, it won't be for everybody. It's really important that we do this so that we can be as inclusive as possible, that everybody has an opportunity to participate and participate well, and that those who are running those platforms can do it to the best of their ability and feel confident in those abilities as well. Absolutely. Thank you very much for summarising that, Rebecca. Thank you. Sometimes when I'm going off on a bit of a tangent about something, I'm like, am I the only one who feels this way about this in the world? And then when you said that, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I knew there was a reason you're a rising star in Res Life. Thank you. Oh no, it's it's definitely like an influence from, you know, personal, you know, introspection around my own screen time and and my own I think I learn best by being introspective or reflecting on my own habits or behaviours with you know with anything and then thinking, well, you know, what what's out there that can give me a, a perspective or an understanding of what's what I'm what I'm trying to process or adapt to or change. And that's definitely something that I think, you know, I, I feel very passionate about, especially in, in a student facing role with students. I'm like, let me, you know, impart my my knowledge or my wisdom. Let me uh, help you consider things from another perspective or angle. And, you know, like you said earlier, Rob, it's are we now shifting to a part where rather than them going online to, to, to switch off, you know, it's going to be the opposite now, um, given the the sort of ratio of time spent online versus offline will be will be shifting and changing. I like to think that I'm kind of tech savvy. Like I know a bit of, a bit of an all rounder, I would say, in terms of tech. But if you ask me to share my screen, nothing strikes the fear of God in me more than someone saying, "Oh, just share your screen with me." So when you talk about like needing guides to do certain things, I need a guide for a lot of things still to learn the basics for a lot of things. Yeah, and it's 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 putting it into context as well, especially for our student staff. Like I said, like to, to consider it from the angle as as host and participant, and how are they going to do their flat meetings? How will they do their programs? You know, how can they conduct those things professionally as well, and and, and putting trust in them as our as our staff members to really again, it's it's you know modelling those good behaviours of. of social distancing and things like that but they're modeling those good behaviors of you know zoom etiquette which might you know influence their residents to to do the same when they're participating in their lectures or um or or other meetings or commitments or as some institutions have named it netiquette 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 (laughs) netiquette there you go i'll give you that one for free netiquette yeah there you go you can have that one for free from me
when you th- when you think back to you know March and April, the early days of lockdown and the COVID pandemic and whatnot, and we were all doing our virtual quizzes with our friends and our family, and like quirky little things, and you know certainly I did I did virtual bingo with some friends and I did some quizzes, and I haven't done any in about four months now because you know it's it's kind of like died down now, like you know the the novelty of it is gone. The novelty of it's gone, but it was really interesting, fun story that, you know, me and 10 friends over in Ireland, we all dialed into some sort of um, Zoom or Google Hangout event. And actually, it was very obvious the people who work in roles where they never have to have conference calls and the people who do. And there was a lot of netiquette missing that night. I can tell you that much. So probably should have created a bit of a guide for them as well in terms of how to use certain platforms and whatnot. I think that's the same. And it's, it's certainly the same, you know, um, working in a university or working in different departments. And we need to get that consideration when we're asking resident assistants or any member of a team to be, like you said, a host or a participant in any particular piece of software. Looking back to the last six months now, what has that taught you about delivering a supportive student experience? Is there anything that you and the team at the University of Essex have implemented that you'll keep in 2021 and beyond? Um, well, we can certainly agree that sort of virtual programming will be here to stay, even though it will be here to stay, even though, you know, we only sort of piloted it with small pockets of, of residents. I think we feel quite confident to keep that in place. Um, you know, it get, it gives students another outlet to, to get involved. And it could be that we reach a different um, demographic this way if there are students that find in-person socialising um, and networking difficult. And, and as we've sort of just sort of alluded to is you know embracing those digital technologies is now sort of a necessity more than ever um, in the academic learning experience but now their social experience at university the the past six months have taught me that sort of being adaptable and flexible is and sort of open-minded is key for me personally and and my own work sort of contributions and feeling of productivity you know as much as we can have a sense of nostalgia and a desire to go back to the way things were you know we have to adjust to these new norms and practices and and embrace them as positively as we can you know it will certainly take time for things like social distancing masks antibacterial like like to feel you know like second nature so you know in in the upcoming academic year we really just have to emphasize with those that we work with and work for to, you know, be patient with, you know, with ourselves and with each other um, to make it as a supportive student experience um, for, you know, for everyone involved, you know, set, you know, setting those sort of good examples, um, you know, more broadly and, you know, thinking about a particular example within student services, um, you know, our wellbeing team have done a, a, you know, a great swift way of moving their sort of drop-in service to, online um, remote appointments so we've gone from you know one-to-one in-person appointments in sort of designated meeting rooms to remote appointments via zoom or or telephone calls and um, in feedback in meetings from colleagues you know there's been you know really positive impressions and engagement from students and particularly from those that may not have engaged you know so going back to you know the topic of accessibility it does give students alternative options to access a service and potentially help them seek support sooner when they when they might not have um, done that in the past our student services building is accessed in quite a unique way where you kind of very visible that you're accessing a particular support desk um, and the assumption is that you're there for drop-in and some students might find that a little bit off-putting but being able to do that um, remotely is that remotely now is a, is an advantage for those that have the 
right environment um, to do that in because there, there are probably other listeners of this podcast out there that think, well, you know, you know, some students have found it more difficult being back at home and accessing support because of being back at home and perhaps not having family that are aware of their circumstances or their needs as, as they're going through their sort of university journey. And also sometimes being at home, you have poor Wi-Fi connections. I've been hearing that a lot in the accommodation world, that students prefer to be in their accommodation provider where possible because the Wi-Fi is simply better and so they can access things faster or better. What we'll definitely implement and, and keep implemented in 2021 is the option. It's the, the option of being able to participate remotely or virtually, especially when it comes to accessing student support and services. Um, you know, we're all going to be going into an, an academic year where there could be, you know, limited numbers of people on campus. But equally, no, we know that we can deliver this service in residence life and we can deliver this service in, in our student wellbeing teams um, to support students remotely even though that brings up additional sort of obstacles and challenges around um, maintaining confidentiality and, you know, escalation processes and things, you know, thinking back to, you know, life before lockdown in an open plan office, it was just so much easier to to, to grab a colleague and chat about something if, if it was really urgent. But now we all have to be really patient with ourselves and one another around our you know, availability and how instantaneously we might be able to be reached for, you know, really ad hoc things. Mm, it's what I miss the most, actually, that you can't just say, can you just, you know, can we just go grab a coffee or have a chat with someone while you make a cup of tea or something like that, or bump into people yeah. ad hoc on campus or whatever building that you And some of those, in. you know, yeah, those things are sometimes the most valuable interactions that you can have, you know, as you're walking to a meeting. And now it's kind of, you have to schedule it. And this is where, you know, we will regularly be looking at our RA's experiences of supporting students in residences. We, we really want to be able to listen to how they're finding the roles and adapting the roles, given that everything, especially in the first term when we come back in the academic year, there will be an emphasis on this remote delivery um, until we feel more confident that you know, it's it's a safer environment for them to do in-person work. Mm. It certainly sounds like you as an individual really think long and hard about these things and that actually you explore lots of different options and do a lot of research, which I think is really important. And you don't necessarily settle for the status quo that you're you like to poke at things and kind of test them out a little bit. Oh, I like I love coming at things from all different angles. You know, maybe it makes it, it makes it hard for me to to come up with like a solid opinion sometimes because I'm looking at things from all different angles and I can be easily swayed. But I think that's a really good way to kind of get a broad understanding and see someone else's perspective. You know, I can, you know, I'm I can certainly have a knee jerk reaction to how I think this is how it should go. But actually, you know, when you consider a broader context, particularly in like the universities that you work in as well, and, and the sort of strategic or operational objectives that you're trying to achieve, you kind of have to kind of sometimes look at it from the top down and, and see how you can kind of meet in the middle with ways that you'd like to work or, you know, working when I worked in my sort of student experience role at Anglia Ruskin, this is where I had such an appreciation for the student voice and feedback mechanisms. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be a formal survey. It doesn't always have to be a formal feedback mechanism. Um, sometimes you can just put in 
you know, you can just go out and talk to students. You can put in some focus groups um, and just capture a small like sample size of, you know, what the initial impressions are um, from students. And, and that's one thing that I really like to see our team utilize um, is that sort of student voice around, you know, well, is residence life having an impact on your campus living experience? Have we been able to alleviate any concerns around the current pandemic? Have we been able to allow you to feel connected to others um, in, in our programming or the, the support opportunities we give you out of hours? Because during office hours, we've still got, you know, staff working on drop-in and in the student wellbeing services and um, our accessibility and our accessibility services. But residence life, you know, we're here for students in the buildings, in the evenings, and potentially can have like a good impact out of ours and what their, their experience is. Yeah, we, we love a good survey in higher education and in universities uh, generally. And um, I'm a big fan of qualitative data as someone who has undertaken qualitative research for her thesis. Um, mind you, when I was going through it last night and trying to get themes, I was pulling my hair out and probably giving out to myself for doing that. But yeah, I totally agree. It's OK to ask you know questions and focus groups little and often. Um, but also in terms of like getting ideas and exploring different you know opportunities and topics and subjects and whatnot, you can also get those from other res life departments and different universities around the country and abroad is there anything that stands out to you as best practice or that inspires or influences you um so you know for me from you know the residence life roles that i've had or working in student affairs so far you know you know best practice always involves you know collaborative working across teams and um you know sharing how you can utilize um different people's skills and experiences and passions to like the best of like the team's ability to, to deliver on a good campus experience. And like we said, listening to students, particularly in the pandemic, you, you, can't, you, you can really appreciate the value of the student voice and say, you know, you know, here are the parameters that we can work in. What do you want to get involved with? What, you know, what appeals to you? I remember when I was at Keel, we'd arranged a few vision visit things to other universities to get a perspective into their sort of residence life programs and their models. I also spent a week at the University of Limerick on a Erasmus staff exchange trip. And I just remember wanting to absorb as much as I could, like, you know, just to get... That's where I used to work. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so beautiful. Um, yeah, really loved my time there. Um, so, you know, I just wanted to absorb as much as I could and get sort of fresh perspectives and ideas of ways of working. And, you know, there's a lot of things that I've learned in terms of operational working and day-to-day -day practices in the roles that I've had so far but then also you know trying to retain these small impactful like nuggets of information from other universities that I visited um, to think well how can I implement that here given the the resources or the student demographic or you know what what I have at this particular university um, I keep an eye on Facebook pages. There's the, the Residence Life Professionals pages on Facebook. That gives me a little insight into those American models and structures of residence life. Um, people on there have been, you know, super open and honest about the challenges that they're facing, but also really generous in the resources that they're making available um, to, to residence life professionals. So it's really, really good to have that as 
a sort of place to go to, uh, to to sort of see what other people are sharing, especially those that are working over in the States, you know, which we can agree are much more sort of established and robust. And that's in turn, that is giving me sort of in-depth knowledge and insight, you know, and, and therefore ideas to, you know, what best practice looks like, you know, campus-based versus city-based universities have different demands or you know, sort of needs to address. And it kind of brings it back to, you know, particularly the emphasis in this upcoming academic year is that, you know, getting student feedback and listening to the student voice will be really imperative to gain like a as, as comprehensive a picture as possible um, into whether what we're sort of implementing or piloting for the first time is is useful and, and, and valuable. Other things that I think um, have, you know, an impact in, you know, allowing me to see what best practice looks like is definitely sort of attending conferences um, and webinars. Uh, fortunately, over the lockdown period, like so much of it has gone online for free. It's been incredible. Um, you know, Amoshi how, held their week-long webinars for free and it was it was so good to attend so many of those and you know networking listening to others within and outside of your institution is a really good way to gain that sort of perspective it's just yeah it's those sort of training and development opportunities those opportunities to network gain a small insight into models at other universities even though you don't particularly work there um you know when i was at keel and we were doing the little visits we'd gone to sort of nottingham and sheffield and um, we'd gone to leeds and you know we'd come back with all these ideas we're like yes this is what we'd like to do but then you also have to work within the parameters of what's available at your university but those sort of things have definitely stuck in my mind until today you know in my role that i have today and you, you always kind of like bring those sort of experiences and that knowledge and insight with you so what has been your personal highlight of your time in res life so far so if you had to kind of share a story with us and everybody listening that kind of summarizes your love for what you do what would you pick out as being the the main highlight of your career so far that is a really good question and and you know what i i kind of have to go with the gut feeling and 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 the things that come immediately you know to my recollection and it seems like really trivial and low level but you know i said earlier that students are such a niche sort of collective of of people you know they are you know they are adults we have to recognize them as so but even you know receiving feedback on on what we would perceive as a very trivial matter around helping to resolve a noise problem or a communal living issue and you know allowing them to see things from a different perspective in reaching compromise that is where you know that's kind of what drives me like allowing them to see things from a different perspective and like i said like you know even on something as trivial as what we do see regularly in residence life when it comes to communal living and conflict and interpersonal issues that can arise so that's one thing that kind of that that definitely drives me particular highlights you now put me on the spot rob you know there's so much that is really memorable from the universities that I've worked at previously oh maybe I'll have to come back to you at that one but we'll we won't be able to have a second time to record tell you what so so my one of my personal things and it's it's interesting that you immediately went to the really trivial stuff because you're kind of right it's the little things that I remember the most 
Now, obviously, like in my job, a lot of my job focuses on immigration. So a lot of the really big things I've done is help students through some really difficult immigration situations and you kept them studying and whatever else. And they're obviously amazing. But probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me was just one of the students who I helped gave me a Christmas card. And they were a um, student who was an asylum seeker. Mm. And I'd help get them into the university. And she just gave me a Christmas card and she said, thank you so much for all of your help. Um, without you, I don't know what my future would have been like. So I, I just mm -hmm. want you to know how much you have done for me. And it's just that little thing that I'll never forget that. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter what else I do in my career. I'll never forget that. It's just, it's often those small interactions you have that I find mean the most. Yeah, those small expressions of, of appreciation. And, and, you know, now that you've mentioned that anecdote, Rob, it's, you know, I see that in, in students that I interact with, but then also my RAs. I remember when I left Kiel, um, my line manager had not only arranged for a, a card, like a leaving card and a good luck card to be arranged by like the full-time colleagues, but then also all the RAs as well. And it was just so nice to see them appreciate what I'd done for them. And, and I see that now in my roles at Essex and, you know, the RAs that I keep in touch with, whether they've, you know, from previous academic years that I keep in touch with, you know, through LinkedIn, it's really nice that they reach out to me and, you know, check in with how things are going in res life because they're curious, but then also it's really nice to encourage them on their career paths today. It's an additional sort of networking opportunity to, you know, have these student staff that you've kind of mentored or coached through their time as an RA. But then upon graduation, you can certainly see um, the impact that you've had and, you know, in one-to-one -one meetings, or, or team meetings or ongoing training opportunities that they have it's really meaningful to see like you know to kind of see that moment where they're like oh you know this is how I can use my RA role um, in in future job applications they've equally got their own anecdotes to share around what residence life meant to them during their time as an RA um, and it's really nice to see them when like when they come to their graduation point recall those sort of experiences that they've had and how they'll transfer them um into later life so it was a real pleasure speaking with alana and we really hope that you enjoyed listening to what she had to say as well and something that both me and rebecca really particularly enjoyed and had a lot of pleasure both on the recording and off the recording speaking to alana about was her theoretical background as she mentioned in the interview she wrote on these sorts of subjects and on student success as part of her degree. So she has that theoretical understanding that both me and Rebecca have spent the last two years understanding and learning about. So that really shone through for me and it, it really showed that it has a major impact on what she does day to day. And I think, Rebecca, you felt the same way. Mm, absolutely. I think you and I both know that we push you know, a fair amount of work into who we invite onto the podcast and the preparation we do. We prep questions in advance and we like to try and get the best from every person we interview. Rob has a bit of radio experience. I have absolutely no podcast experience. So most of the time we're winging it when we're interviewing people. You know, we're asking questions that we hope the audience or the listeners at home are saying, oh, ask this question. I want to learn more about that. So whenever I'm going and doing these sessions, my background kind of voice is saying is this interesting is this interesting and the lovely thing was that when we listened back as I edited this, this episode I listened back to Alana and it was just a fascinating conversation for someone who is early on in her career 
and to be as informed as she is about the subjects and the area she works in. You know, I was a little bit jealous. I was like, I didn't know this stuff when I was in my mid 20s. I was like, <laughs> I only know it in the last couple of years, in my mid 30s. So, you know, she's going to be someone we're probably going to hear about in the next 5, 10, 15 years. She absolutely is for me a rising star in this space. And shout out to Claire Slater, who recommended her as well. Yeah, good call, Claire. Uh, Alana is definitely somebody to to look out for. And I think the thing that really came across for me and is is sometimes, not all the time, but can often be quite a rare trait in in people who are so new to that profession is that sense of reflexivity. I think that's a word. But that sense of reflection on not just doing something, but also reflecting on what impact has that made for the student? What impact has that made for the university? But also what impact has that made on me? And being able to take all of that in to reflect on the situation at hand and to grow and learn from that. And that is a skill that that you can learn, but a lot of people struggle with. It's something that's sometimes not very common. And Alana definitely displays that. And, and you can see from the way she speaks about things and the way she reflects on and takes new information on that she's going to be able to keep doing that and the programming that she works on and everything she does in Res Life is always going to have some form of underpinning on something she's learned you know six months ago a year ago or even a week ago Uh, she very much has that sense of being able to pick up lessons from everything she does. Mm, There was like an artistry to it and I say that because you know as someone who went to art school in a former life and I talk about that a lot as well sometimes. Reflection was a massive part of what we do when you go to art school or study fine art. You talk about the reflection of the process and how you got to the point that you did in the work that you make and it came across that way with her as well. I really like that this kind of artistic way of thinking and I don't think she realizes that herself but very self-aware about that and reflection is very important like you say and I think sometimes it's a skill that you don't realize that is actually quite important and it's something that's so easy to do and implement and can make a massive benefit to the work that you do and for the teams that you might manage or work with it as well. Absolutely and it's something that I'm sure all of the students that come across Alana and the program she's working on and the residences she's working with benefit from greatly as I'm sure do her colleagues so again thank you so much Alana for joining us it was a pleasure speaking to you and again thank you for Claire for shouting out Alana to get her on the episode. Now, just to continue the kind of ego boosts of people in the sector, our next episode is with someone who we're really proud to have on. And, you know, it's the first episode where I really think, wow, okay, I'm not sure how I'm going to deal with this. This person's really impressive. They've got like, just just ridiculous like it's just a little bit hard to handle so I'm I'm quite a, li- a little bit afraid of this interview um but you know we, we thought let's just chance our arm let's see if she'll do it and thankfully she was willing to do it and you know I, I'm scared but I'm willing to go ahead and give it a shot very proud to say on episode 11 we'll be interviewing Rebecca O'Hare <laughs> it's me <laughs> yes it is it is our very own Rebecca um we promised you that we will be looking at our dissertations and the research that we have conducted and we we really feel that we want to bring some of what we've learned and some of what we've researched to all of you so the next episode will feature mrs o'hare um so rebecca do you want to kind of mrs o'hare ms (laughs) o'hare sorry Controversial. Uh, there you go see i'm being picked up on things already this is not going to go well in this interview um (laughs) so anyway um 
Rebecca, do you want to kind of introduce a little bit to what we'll be discussing and introduce everybody to your research? Yes, next time, Ryan, we'll talk about my research, which focused on working in purpose-built student accommodation, or PBSA, as it is often known as. And my research focused on the training and induction practices provided for people who take on the roles of accommodation manager or deputy accommodation manager, because there is absolutely no UK-based research on this area. Most research on PBSA comes from investment reports about how it's a great, solid investment and that it returns brilliant yields. And, you know, it's it's only a blip that rooms aren't filling during COVID and whatnot. And actually, there's nothing about the people who work there and the experiences that they have and what it's really like to work there and whether we are actually training them and preparing them to do the best they can and to deal with all the challenges that it brings when you work in these positions as I have done myself for six years so yeah really excited to talk about it and I promise you Rob is going to grill me on it because he has read it and already he's he's a bit like what? (laughs) I I have read it and it is a really excellent piece of research I'm not just saying that for the sake of it it is a really excellent piece of research I'm really looking forward to discussing it with you it is it is somewhat of a when you read it, there is somewhat of a gut punch to it. It's got a bit of weight. So I'm really excited to discuss it with you and some of the things that you've discovered. And I really hope that you as listeners will be engaged in what we have to say about the research and what Rebecca has learned. So we look forward to bringing that to you. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your listenership. We really appreciate you tuning in. Take care and we will see you very, very soon.